Welcome to the Audit 15 Fund podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking about an unorthodox approach to audit. And to talk about that topic, I have the honor to have as my guest, Barry Ensling, the Managing Director and Founder of ProOptima Audit Services in South Africa. Welcome, Barry, to the podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Yes, thank you. And uh, thank you for the invitation to be part of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So we chatted a little bit before the episode and you you had some really thought-provoking ideas on your approach to audit and you've been doing this for a while. So one of the methodologies that you use that I thought was very interesting, I thought would be very helpful to all the internal auditors out there who are listening to this, use the SWIM methodology, which is start with intuition methodology. So can you expand on how that works? And maybe if you have a couple of success stories to share as well. Yes, I will. Maybe you should just tell the listeners that parental guidance is advised for this session because it might be more fitting for the more mature audience, more mature auditor. Some people may even feel I'm a heretic with a theory that differs from established beliefs of the profession. But let me explain. The reason for defining SWIM as a methodology is really to put practice into theory, because we have been applying the SWIM principles as for as long as ProOptima exists, that is since 1997, but we've only recently gave it a name. Now, what happens is that in the past, when we were still a smaller company, I would have the guys around me and I would have trained them in that way, but growing bigger, I get more distant from the people and they have to be much more on their own. <laughs> I just realized that they do not always apply our principles. So I had to put it on paper. I had to put the practice into theory. And this is what I've done. Previously, we mentioned, we, we referred to it as the should be approach, as opposed to the as is approach that I think that the most common approach is the as is approach, which just means that you audit, when you use the as is, is you audit the system as is. And you just go and test, not just go and test, but you test for a large degree whether the system is operating as intended. So, but we prefer to audit against an ideal system or a process for which we've defined the key controls. And I will explain that now. In my experience, not all auditors are inclined to, inclined to identify the gaps if the audit program is based on the system as is. Auditors measuring above 60 on the auditor scale would normally identify all or most of the control gaps in the system, but the lower the team members measure on the auditor scale, the less likely it becomes that they would identify the control gaps. The Ritter scale is, is merely an imaginary instrument that I'm referring to. Uh, I'm somewhat of a cross between a funny and a crazy person. And so I bring these things up, think of these things from time to time. So many auditors have difficulty to grasp and accept the SWIM principles. It seems to clash sometimes with their entire being, their audit being. And 
for some, it may even defy logic. But let me explain. Swim, and this was our experience, swim coupled with a couple of other methods that we use to ex execute our assignments uh, is key in effective auditing. This is just our experience. And the extent of tangible value adding, including cost savings for our clients, is testimony of that. So we can see the results. And swim would obviously not be suitable for all projects, but for us, it is the default. So by default, we swim. So it starts off like this. Do not find out how the system in the audit area operates at the start of the audit, but you rather gather that, that information while you perform the audit assignment and your testing. And this might make no sense to people who hear that, but let me repeat it again. Do not find out how the systems in the audit area operate at the start of the audit. Don't go and find out how the system works. The audit team identifies the project objectives as well as the risks faced by the audit area. Now, obviously, that is a normal audit process, but we have learned that it is better to lead the process instead of being led by the client or the audit team. Remember, as the internal auditors, we are the internal control specialists. So we should know what controls should be in place. And this is what, what the internal doors, internal auditors are. They know what the systems are. So let us rather design, but on a high level, design the control system in terms of just defining what the risks are and what are the key controls that you need to put in place or need to be in place to mitigate those risks. And I can give some examples. Um, and I was just going to give an example on an area where we do a lot of audits, and that is in the mining industry. Most of our clients are in the mining industry, and that is the on-site contractors that we often uh, and sometimes on a continuous basis audit. And I think it's just important to, to, to know that many of our clients, we actually perform a second line in the, in the three lines model of the IIA. We render a second line service uh, and they make use of us because of our technical skills because about 50 percent of our staff our auditors comes out of the mining in mining technical field they are surveyors they're rock engineers they're mining engineers and so on. and i take them and make auditors out of them so we've got your more, let's say, financial auditors, and our, we call them our technical auditors. And because they know the mining industry so well, we can do literally any audit, <laughs> underground, on surface, uh, wherever we, we, we can, we, we perform audits. And that's why they make use of us. So just that as a little bit of a background. So I want to just give this example of in the, in the uh, mining industry and in that particular area, the on-site contractors. For example, the, the, the project objective may be to determine whether on-site contractors are effectively managed. Now, that's just a very simple project objective, just to, to get in the, the message through. And that brings about the important question, how will I know? Most of with uh, the root cause identification, why, 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 we've got this thing about how will I know? So when people know, how will I know is the, on, the question always be, got to be answered. So how will we know contractors' processes are effectively managed? The answers to this question will come 
become the sub or supporting objectives. Um, and they might be usually not more than five sub-objectives for an assignment. In this case, it may include, for example, we will know it's well-managed if the client only pays for the services required. The second one would be, we will know it's well-managed if the client only pays for services rendered to the client's requirements and standards. We will also know, as a third one, if payments to the vendors are accurate and valid, in other words, quantities and rates mostly. So next is to ask, how will I know the sub-objective is met? For example, how will I know payments to these vendors are accurate and valid? And one answer would be that work performed should be measured or quantified by a suitably qualified and sufficiently independent client representative. So the how will I know question as I said, it's similar to the why, 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 to find out what the root cause is. So this enables the auditor then to design a control system at a high level, define the key co controls that should, should form part of an ideal internal control system, which forms the basis then of the audit program. If the team starts off with studying the procedures and processes in place, writing the narratives and flow diagrams, they are being led and can to a degree be led by the nose. Unfortunately, one, only the above average internal auditor will identify all or most of the gaps in the established processes in the audit area. That is, if the audit program and testing is based on the as-is, which I've, I've mentioned earlier. So we wanted to design our own and see where are the key controls. And, and this process really helps you to define all the key controls. And then you can go and find out how does the system work and get their procedures and processes. And you, you play it with both of them. So you first want to establish, is this control in place? And you see it is in place. And then you'll see that it is not a requirement or it is a deviation from the, the processes. So now comes the exciting part. Use your intuition to perform the audit testing. While only later in the project, start looking at or referring to your audit program. That is obviously depending on the team or the auditor's maturity level in terms of skills and experience and general knowledge of the audit area. But the important thing here, this is my thing that I always talk to my people, internal auditing is more about applying your mind than following structured auditing processes. So that is what is this? This is all about. Because by auditing, this is what the procedure says. Uh, I've got select 25 orders and test whether they are properly approved, properly supported, and all the, those things. But the person without uh, applying his mind or her mind would accept, yeah, it has been signed, it has this and it's got that, but would fail to identify that it is actually a, just a paper exercise because it's just a confirmation order. So that's why it is so important that number one, it's almost more important, okay, equally important than the following the structured approach. When you start, we start the prelim survey and the field work at the same time. And those phases, we play with data information, we do research. We test what comes to mind, walk around the site, and that's what I can't work up the remote. I've got to be on site. 
and, and you can't really apply these principles if you're if you're not on site. You observe, you feel, you taste, you talk to people until you realize that time has now arrived to start referring to your audit plan. And that is to ensure. So, so audit program is really to ensure you you're, you do a complete audit because most of these things you, your intentions should lead you to go and do your testing. And maybe a very strange way, and maybe it's not so strange. I, I would like to hear from listeners who may perhaps have the same uh, or similar approaches. You you can, and there's nothing wrong to 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 uh, look at the audit program at the beginning or during the. But as long as you you apply the swim principle, sometimes it is necessary to to refer to that. So through wise at the testing, we have got to do thorough but wise testing that is key in this thing. So thorough testing, unfortunately, you find a lot of superficial testing in internal audit, um, but the swim process is kind of a, it would thwart a uh, uh, lazy auditing. Um, and I'll come to that a little bit later. But the important thing is to follow the process, the transaction, the trail as far back as possible, even beyond the document of original entry that we've uh, uh, learned many years ago. I don't know whether I talk about that anymore, but in the 90s, <laughs> as the 1990s, we still talked about it. But you go even further than that, and that is to the point of occurrence, the physical thing. If in any way you can do a physical inspection confirmation, you go back as far back as that. And that's why uh, in the mining, uh, we've got our people and even the financial people can go underground. I, my very first audit as a, as a financial auditor was, the internal auditor was uh, an underground. And I didn't know that's not the work of an internal auditor to go underground. So I went underground and I measured the work. <laughs> so only later I saw that audit, internal auditors, they don't do it. They just look at the paper often, but you've got to, if, if you, you'll pick things up if you follow the entire trail back. Now, uh, using the example of accurate measuring, we would in most cases measure those work physical, physically. We'll go and see, has the work that's been invoiced been done, has been done correctly, has been correctly measured. So we do, we re-measure it and, um, in, I would say, <laughs> probably more than 40%, you do find serious mistakes, significant uh, deviations. Then you build your report. As you audit, right from the beginning, even from your, um, your initial, this, after your initial discussions, your initial testing, you start building your audit report because the report now will also guide the team to cover all areas properly because our report building approach forces the team to be diligent and complete by constantly asking, how will I know? So even you do when you do the, 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 the audit report, for each sub-objective, you ask again, because now you write your audit report or you build your audit report, how will I know this sub-objective is met if this is in place or that is in place and or you already know that is not that is not in place so you already put it in your report that that is not in place in this case for example how will i know payments to the contractor are accurate and valid there are normally around three to five answers 
for group control uh, groupings that should be in place in answer to this question, such as work is measured by a suitably qualified uh, client representative employee. So building the report is a module in the in Prooptima training manual. Uh, we call our training manual our DNA manual because the, the, what we are and what we do must become part of the team. So the benefits of SWIM, in our experience, the out audit outcomes are generally more successful when applying SWIM principles compared to the conventional methods. And it helps you. The first thing is completeness of testing. The SWIM generally prompts more thorough and effective audit testing than the as-ease approach. High quality of audit outcomes due to the thorough test. Thorough testing will result in, in, in high quality outcomes. It obstructs lazy auditing, as I said. You cannot do a lazy audit if you if you do swim, if you swim, <laughs> if you swim correctly. <laughs> the team members often see things they were not looking for. And that's the, the mark of a good auditor. You find things you weren't looking for. And often seeing things that fall outside the scope of the audit. But you've also got a higher likelihood of identifying value-adding opportunities, which will result in a higher level of respect from the client, from the auditee, and more likely that you, the team will experience a level of work satisfaction because of the, the good results. You unpack so many things there, Barry. I think okay. I, I, I have a quick summary here and I'll, I'll try to do justice to what you just <laughs> said. So put practice into theory, because, you know, theory and practice is always different, right? So you yeah. start with the practice and then you go to theory. Okay. The should be instead of the as is approach. I think that's huge. If people really grasp that concept, I think, you know, that, that they can take a, a quantum leap in how they perform their, their audits. And you lead the process instead of being led by the process. Don't try to understand how the system works at the beginning. Think about how it should work in your head, right? How how, exactly. how should it work? And then then you go in. And what you said there, you know, towards the end of it's internal audit, it's more about applying your mind than following the process. If there's anything that people can remember from all of what Barry said, I think this is a good one to remember. Applying your mind more than following a process. <laughs> so oh, really good stuff. Equally. <laughs> equally. Both so important. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so one one other thing too that it is different in your methodology, Barry. And I think some people would agree with you here, the in and out audit. Like you you go in and out. It's it's quick, right? So for those departments who maybe are interested in implementing this methodology of like performing a quick audit that, you know, brings results. What, what are some ideas for them on what's the easiest way for them to implement? Yeah. It's, it's maybe not a methodology as a way of covering everything in your audit universe, because I believe you've got to uh, define your audit universe in the entire universe, not just the financial administrator, but literally everything. And most well, in the mining industry, it's way over a hundred uh, audit areas that we identify and that we we, we try to cover. Now, uh, several audit 
areas forming part of the audit universe are seldom selected for inclusion into the audit, uh, the annual audit plan due to these areas reflecting as relatively low risk on the project decision matrix. These areas are nonetheless important to be properly governed and should therefore be subjected to audit from time to time. And this is where we cover this under this in and out audits. The objective of this methodology is really to facilitate a more complete audit coverage by scheduling audit areas that are likely to be overlooked year after year, despite the ideal audit frequency decision matrix flagging the audit area as due for audit. So these poor uh, audit areas shout year after year, they shout, pick me, pick me, but they, they can't be picked because they're not important enough. So, and that's really because of the tension between, between the ideal audit coverage and available resources, something we, we all know. So what we do is, is we select more or less, say, 10 uh, areas per cycle, the, the, the annual, of these areas for inclusion into the annual audit planning and budgeting process um, to make sure they are at least covered. So we allow 16 to 20 hours per project, and there you identify two to four main risks and perform testing on that and communicate the, the results. So it's, it's, again, you should do thorough. Whatever you do, you do thorough, even if you do not uh, test everything in that. But by, by selecting four areas or risks, you will quickly see the, and feel what the control uh, environment situation is. Good. And this is quite handy uh, when you have time on your hands. Sometimes you wait for information. You've got a day or four, part of the day that you don't really have some, anything to do um, and you need to get, find something. And these are really nice um, projects to do in that period. And then we've got the fraud and error detection tests that are almost it's some, somewhat related. So each audit is required to spend two hours, with sometimes per six months or per quarter, to perform a fraud and error detection test. Um, they can choose any area they want. They can do just what they want. Um, and then if they find nothing in those two hours, they write a note for the record and that they haven't found anything, but that is on file. And when they find something, they, that is followed up. But you would be surprised because of the gut feeling of an audit that there may be something wrong there. And if you go and look, very often that was worth the two hours that you, that you spent initially and, the, and it, it, it become a new uh, project. Whereas I've got hundreds, I've really got hundreds of examples of at different clients where this small looking at something and wondering whether there is something wrong. And, and I'm just going to give one example, driving past the way bridge, wondering what could go wrong here. Okay, what can go wrong? So I stopped and asked the operator, and this is many years, this is 20 odd years ago. Um, I asked the operator to explain how they work, and he says that they take the tear weights of the trucks, and instead of having the trucks coming over the way bridge, 
empty and loaded and empty. It goes over the way, but it's only loaded and the system automatically deducts the tear weight. So I thought, how do I know that the tear weight is correct? So when the truck uh, dumped this load, I said, come back. I want to remeasure you, <laughs> find out what the real uh, uh, tear weight is. And there was a big difference. So I looked and I saw, but there's accumulation of dirt on the truck that is now double accounted for. Every time it goes over, it deducts a, a smaller figure uh, as a tear weight than it should be. So eventually, uh, most of those trucks were uh, double accounting. So we could immediately address that. Um, and it wasn't necessary to have a tear weight. The trucks drove past the weight bridge so they could just uh, go over it loaded and empty. But the biggest problem on that, because that then led to another thing. Um, there was a contractor, a mining contractor, who got paid for the gold recovered from the ore they mined. And they had two trucks, a big one and a small one. But only the small trucks there went was in the system, meaning that when the big truck went over the way bridge, this, the smaller truck's stairway was deducted, resulting in significant, that was really a big amount, significant over-allocation of gold to this uh, contractor with significant overpayments. It started off by just, I, I think what I've done that on that day, I was just tired and I thought, let me get up and go somewhere. I had five minutes or 10 minutes before I, I get my information. Then I drove past it and I thought, let's stop. Can something go wrong here? And I, and I initially thought, no, what can go wrong? And then, yeah. So uh, I've got <laughs> many of these examples. But yes. I'm going to dive into all of them. Yeah, that's an excellent example and great ideas for people to implement. You know, you mentioned, and I want to clarify this, Barry, 16 to 20 hours for some areas for you to just go in look and see if there's something right and like you mentioned it's good like filler work right someone is kind of waiting between two projects and you know instead of like completing some useless cpes they could <laughs> do one of the uh in and out uh projects so and love the idea of the fraud detection like two hours per quarter per month whatever frequency it is just having that mindset you have a had a great example there from your physical observation. Yeah. And, and the mindset should be, if nothing can go wrong, something will. <laughs> I mean, you, you, that's the mind of an auditor, right? <laughs> <laughs> of a good auditor. So one, one follow-up question to the, to the, the in and out uh, methodology or, you know, you mentioned it's not a methodology, but uh, approach, right? Um, yeah. Some people may say, okay, but you're going to spend 16, 20 hours there. You're mm. not really going to get to the root cause, you know? So what, what, what would be your, your response to that? And you, you know, before we, we recorded the episode, you, you said something that I thought was very good. And it, it kind of ties to this, this question here. You, your statement was the average auditor's condition is the good auditor's cause. So tying, tying this statement to the, you know, the follow-up question of like, you know, how do we get to the root yeah. cause if we spend only 16 to 20 hours? I think we've got to distinguish between the two. I'm not sure that I quite relate that the, the average auditor's condition is a good auditor's cause and the, and the root cause. Let, let's, let's first talk about the root cause. Um, 
it's always a root cause identification is always important. It's non-negotiable. You've got to do that. Um, and, and that you do when you've got an adverse finding, you've got a negative finding, you've got to find out why did it happen. And even in the in and out, when you find something, you've got to do the, the proper process of identifying it. It now may start becoming a bigger project later on, but that it doesn't change the, the situation. You've got to find out what the, the root cause is and address that. Okay, but referring to the average auditor's condition is the good auditor's cause is an interesting observation I've made over the years. And SWIM is key in this. Referring to the example of the process mentioned earlier, you'll find the true situation only when going as far back as possible, such as the physical remeasure. That is beyond the document of original entry. We talk about looking, look beyond the paper. It, it, it also re relates to electronic uh, data, but let's just use the example of, of paper. The support attached or the support provided as the evidence to the auditor if you do not interrogate that properly, you'll just look at the paper, at the document. You've got to look beyond the, the, the document because often what you see is not what it is. So the, the principle is really to make sure that the audit evidence is truly, is true, reliable evidence. And it doesn't really look right. Now, this is one of the things I cannot handle is when a person tells me it looks right. An auditor may not say it looks right. That is lazy auditing. This may show that you've got incorrect measuring and subsequent overpayment as material. So if you apply this principle, you will probably find or possibly find or many, in many times find that the risk has materialized. It has been incorrectly measured. And the contract has been overpaid. And then the cause, the root cause, would be uh, the contract that provided the measurements. The process says that the, the, the mining uh, representative must do that. But in this case, and this is what we find often, is that the contract that provided the, the information. So the auditor who does not bother to test whether the supporting documents the invoices are correct, will not find this because he doesn't ask why or, or how do I know this is correct? And here's a real life example. Our team identified significant overcharges due to incorrect measuring, the incorrect measuring results provided on the underground work, and they invoiced accordingly. This was as part of a second line service that we provide where the client asks us to evaluate the controls over the internal DFA on-site contractors. Now, other auditors have just completed an audit on the same subject when we started and reported concerns relating to the improper signing of invoices. They were concerned that the, the invoices weren't properly signed. Uh, and they said that that can lead to errors going undetected. Now, they, our condition was that work was incorrectly measured, caused by improper checking. Let's say just keep it very simple. Their condition was improper, improper 
signing of invoices, in other words, improper checking, and the effect is it can result in errors going undetected. And it even goes further. Their condition was our cause. So improper, improper checking was our cause, um, and they said improper checking was the condition. Now, it's not as, I'm just simplifying it now, but if you understand what I mean with uh, the good auditor, he will find the error, he will find the risk as, as materialized uh, in many instances, but the other auditor, the one who doesn't want to swim, <laughs> he and doesn't go back to the, the origin, he will continue to find superficial findings only. That is the truth. That is the truth, Barry. And I, you know, look beyond the paper. That's something that people can remember here. And I love what you said there also. Interrogate the data. So really appreciate you being on the podcast, Barry. For those who uh, want to learn more about what you do, more about ProOptima audit services and all of the services that you provide in the audit space, what is the best way for them to contact you? Just two things I also want to mention. In one is that auditing with the operational mindset is so important. The auditor must, even with the financial audit, audit with the operational mindset. And then we refer to a walkthrough as a walkthrough, H-A-W-K. And um, that means that right from the beginning, you, you look at things with insight as opposed to the sit-throughs that has become the norm these days. But in any case, they can contact me on uh, my email is bensland, it's bravo, echo, november, sierra, lima, india, november, bensland, so bensland, at proptima, one word, two o's, proptima.co.za, za for South Africa. You can also look at our website, which is ProOptima Audit Services, or one word, .co.za. Awesome. Uh, we include that in the show notes. And thank you so much for being part of the podcast, Barry. 